verse, we find ourselves uh, in the book of Hebrews. Again, Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 9. Find that, and we'll read it together as a church family in just a few moments. You know, the media is interesting. We talk about them often. They actually can be helpful. Not often, but they can be. But every once in a while, they do things that are kind of just what I would say neutral. Whether they're helpful or not, I don't know. But I think this is in the scope of just being neutral. Uh, from time to time, they'll take our temperature as people, not just Christians, just people in general. And they seem to ask, at least in this context, the same question over and over again to the generations. And here's one of the questions they ask. Uh, what is it that you're most fearful of? Let me pose that question to you. What is it that you're the most fearful of? Well, the world certainly is fearful of many things, but what about the Christian? What about you personally? Uh, first thing that people are fearful of, number one, is public speaking. Number one, people are fearful of public speaking. Number two is death. Notice the order of that. Public speaking, then death. People are afraid of death, but not as much as public speaking. And then somewhere, depending upon the list, Gallup poll, whatever poll, that poll, this poll, that whatever, between five and ten would be, you know, how am I going to pay for my kid's uh, college? Uh, so I don't know about you, but maybe consider which, what would be on your list if you had to put one uh, together. But I'm going to do something that I learned uh, from a, pre a preaching professor by the name of Jim Wilson when I was over in school, and he would teach me and teach the entire class often, hey, Charlie, hey, class, uh, just make sure that you get out of the way of the text. That was just a nice way of saying, don't use the Bible to say what you want to say. Yeah, just preach the word, and that's going to be my intent this morning. But as the te in the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, obviously it doesn't, speak about, it doesn't talk about public speaking or how to pay for your kid's college education, but it does deal with death, and it deals with death quite extensively and continues to deal with death as we continue through the entire chapter 2. So death is certainly one of the topics that we'll be taking a hard look at because that's what the passage deals with. So also in regards to this chapter we're looking at, or actually verses uh, 5 through 9, it deals with why, why Jesus became a man. You know, why did he do this? What was the reason? It's going to deal uh, with that. And then ultimately, uh, it deals with how Jesus came to empower us and ultimately deliver us from sin and ultimately death. So those are some of the things that are going to be, be in view on uh, this Lord's Day. So now that you've got a little bit of context, why don't we stand together as a church family and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9. That's what I'll be reading out of the CSV. Here's what God's Word says. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about, but someone somewhere has testified. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. That reads God's holy and errant word. You may be seated. 
Verses uh, 5 and 6 are, are quite uh, intriguing, and I just would like for you to take your eyeballs and look at 5 and 6 together. Again, rereading what I just got done reading. This is what it says. It says, For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about, but someone somewhere has testified. Someone somewhere has testified. We want to be careful here not to think that the writer of Hebrews is having a senior moment because what he's doing is he's quoting Scripture, going back to the Old Testament, and he's quoting Psalm 8, specifically verses 5 through 7. That's why he says, someone, somewhere has testified, and then we start to see the Old Testament, which I'll read to you. What is man that you remember him? Again, this is out of the book of Psalms. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Remember, this psalm was written by King David, and this is King David pouring out his heart, crying out to God in this very moment. Interesting that that is what the Hebrew writer would quote. Verse 7 says, You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. So in this section of Scripture, it's revealing that, that Jesus has become man to recapture something. He's come to recapture our destiny, what it is that we were actually called to do, what we were supposed to be. Jesus is redeeming us. You see, God created man in innocence and gave him dominion over the entire earth. Of course, man did something in that garden. We sinned. Adam and Eve sinned and immediately lost that dominion, lost that authority, what we were, what we were charged to take care of, what we were to rule over. Man had a job to do and we failed. You know, the Bible teaches us that that's called the curse, sin. Sin had entered into man. It's the curse that everything that we touch now, uh, you know, when we're talking, not everything, but there's things that we touch that are, that are cursed. The world is under a curse, but praise the Lord for His grace. So Jesus then, on this rescue mission, He comes to die. He comes to remove that very curse I was speaking at, speaking about, so that man could regain His dominion. And we see that uh, this morning. So what is man? I mean, if you were to define man, what would man be? How would you define it? Well, we know this, we are sinners. Man is a sinner. Man is prone to wander. We're disobedient. We're insignificant, yet God is interested in us. And not only that, He's mindful of us. We're a part of His plan. He loves us. Not for anything that we've done, He just does. Not only is He mindful of us, God, as we talk about in the Old Testament, we talk about how God came to His people or revealed Himself to His people. And he did that in various ways, but He, he did that with Abraham. He did that with Jacob. He did that with Moses. He did that with Joshua. And remember the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He revealed himself to those little Hebrew boys. But look at verse 9. What does it say? Well, he says, but we do see Jesus. We'll just stop right there. Jesus has revealed himself to the world. 
Jesus, like, has come to this world. He's revealed himself. Jesus is God. But we see Jesus. Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a short time so that, listen to these these three words, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Jesus indeed would come to this earth. He would come to man. He would visit us. And ultimately, Jesus rescues us. So Jesus did in fact come to this earth. And he was made, according to the text, Jesus was made lower than the angels. And what was the purpose of that? Why? So that, according to the text, so that he, Christ, might taste death for everyone. It's the result of all this. What does the finished product look like? Well, it's in the text this morning. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death but you guys know the story doesn't end there jesus is alive jesus now as we learn sits at the right hand of god the father and there's nothing else for him to do the job has been finished sin has been atoned for the tomb easter's coming is empty the grave clothes have been replaced with the grace clothes Hence why Paul can say with great confidence, 1 Corinthians 15.55, listen what he says, talking about death, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. There is no more sting in death because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross, the one who atoned for the sins of of man, man that would repent of their sins and place their faith in him. So we would say yes and amen to those types of things, as we should. But we also have to take into context a few things. Who the original audience is. Who was the writer writing to? His original audience was not feeling that all things were subjected to God. They weren't feeling that. I suspect that all of us at times don't always feel that. We don't always feel that God has everything under control, although we would never say that to our brethren. But there are times when we're down, we don't feel like God has everything under control. And I would suggest to you that the audience, the Hebrew people, did not feel like God had everything under control or under the feet as the text would suggest. Why would that be? Because like you, they're feeling the turmoil of persecution. We all will have some sort of turmoil in our life. The turmoil that they were facing was persecution. The writer of Hebrews, because of this, because of this turmoil, is pointing them somewhere. Ultimately, he's pointing them to Christ, but he's pointing them to what is unseen he's pointing them to what is unseen and i suspect all of us need to be pointed to what is unseen allow me to explain the last part of verse 8 says this as it is we christian we do not yet see everything 
subjected to Him. We don't see everything subjected to Him. So the writer is saying again, don't look to what is unseen. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Let's put that famous verse up behind me about what faith is out of Hebrews 11.1 as it says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That would be the definition of faith. So he's pointing them to what they can't see. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that God is not in the midst of our trials or whatever it is that we're dealing with. Of course you would say yes and amen to that, but it's easier to say yes and amen to it than it is to live that out. We all struggle with that. That's the point. The fact is this. Everything is subject or under the feet of Christ. Yet there's a problem. You and I live in a fallen world. Some would say a very fallen world, a broken world, so broken that someone had to come to ransom us, rescue us, which is Christ. And we have to remember that right now in the day and age that we live in, it has, it has yet to come into its fullness, talking about the world. Hence the linchpin and the power of Hebrews 2.9 Let's read this and really chew on it for a moment. Here's what the Word of God says. Again, Hebrews 2.9. Yeah, but we do see Jesus. But we do see Jesus. You see, God has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He came to us. He came to the earth. His purpose was the cross. The cross, another word for cross is the death stick. Ultimately, it was salvation. He came to redeem and ransom us. But what was his motive? What is his motive for doing so? Because we were good people? No, you know that. Because, you know, uh, you know, Candace sings good? No, not because of that. Because Ron Gallerini could speak Hebrew? No, not because of that. Those things. He, he, he loves us because he loves us because of his grace. That's why his motive is grace. Verse 9 proves that to us as it says, He was made lower than the angels. It's talking about Christ. He was made lower than the angels for a short time. So that by God's grace, by God's grace, the word is grace, that he might taste death for everyone. He died for you because of his grace. That's the purpose. that's, That's what he's doing. That's his motive. You see, when you fix your eyes on the cross, you'll hear that said often. You know, fix your eyes on the cross. We talked last week about drifting and, and look up. Do you see the cross? Look up. You got your anchor drop. Hebrews, you know, a lot of nautical terms. Drop the anchor. What do you, uh, you know, what do you got your anchor attached to? Where's your dock? Well, what he's teaching us this morning, we need to fix our eyes on the cross so that we see Jesus. You see, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, you begin to ask questions as David did. What is man? Or who am I, God, that you would remember me? That you would die for me? Because it's coming from a position of humility, a posture of reverence for all that he has done. But we will have, this is the third time I've shared this, we will have times when our faith, your pastor's faith, is weak. We have times when we begin to question Does God really have everything under 
control? Is everything subjected to Him? Because there will be times, maybe right now, where you feel like things are just really, really wobbly. But I want to bring this down to street level, and maybe some of these things is how you are identifying with the text. Perhaps when you've been praying for a new job, and it's been months or years, and it doesn't seem like anything is happening. You know, when you're single and you're desirous to marry, yet God hasn't answered that prayer. When your spouse, here's one, somebody say hello after this. When your spouse doesn't seem to get it, say hello. When you've been betrayed by someone you love. I mean, I'm not talking about just any, I'm not talking about somebody that worked, that stole your eraser. I mean, somebody that you love. And they betrayed you. When you cry out to God for whatever reason in your moment of affliction, and it just seems like God is silent. When you wrestle with how God is doing things, you try not to play God, but in your mind you're like, but God, I mean, I mean, you've got the power. You could do anything that you want. You could do anything that you please. And I'm just feeling frustrated. Did you know that one of the pressures that the audience was up against, some of the tension that they were up against, the Hebrew people, was the constant antagonistic speech about their king. Their king meaning Jesus. They antagonized them. They would say things to them like, you, the, you got the king, the one that came here and died. Now they're leaving a lot out there. But when you're in the midst of it, it's really easy to start to embrace a lie. I mean, these folks that would torment them would say things like, you know, what king comes to die? Kings come to rule. Kings come to have dominion over. Kings come to rule and to damn. And this king is weak. Your king. Who is your king? Jesus didn't just come and die, brothers and sisters. He picked the most atrocious way to die. He picked the, the, the one that was the most... Not just painful and excruciating. That, that's true, but that's not what I want you to hear this morning. You see, to be put on a cross, a Roman cross, means that you were cursed. The Holy One, the Righteous One, God's Son, Jesus. As they lifted Him up, He was the cursed one. Cursed. And they would make fun of these people. You're the one that follows the cursed one, the one that was on that tree. You know, I don't like to bring politics into my messages, but I will today because I think it's safe. Ronald Reagan said this when he was running for re-election. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And he said, if you are, vote for me. The Hebrew people who converted from Judaism to Christianity in many ways were not better off. Would they continue to vote for the Lord? Or would they realize that their anchor had been pulled up and they've drifted away? Had the enemy got in there and began to mess with their mind? They weren't better off in many ways. From the world standards, they were actually worse off. 
they began to follow Christ and all hell began to break loose. They started losing things. And let me tell you, you want to find out if you're rock solid in something? Start losing stuff. And you'll find out real quick what's important to you, right? Some of us think we've gone, like, just going through hardships, man. It's been horrible. What happened to you, brother? I had to get rid of cable. It's been awful. <laughs> but it's okay. I got Hulu now. It's only five bucks. I mean, you're not, listening, you're not missing anything. And I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you get the point. I mean, but they were really in the grind. They were in the meat grinder, so to speak, to use that metaphor. From the world standards, they were worse off. The peanut gallery, the culture would chat at them consistently. You ever have somebody just chat at you consistently? And at first it doesn't really bother you. Like, oh, whatever, that's just Dave. He's a moron. And then like, before you know it, Dave starts to really irritate you. You want to go punch Dave. Because it's just after a while, you just start to get irritated and we're all sinful people. And man, if we're not anchored and tethered, man, we start to do some stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Hence why Paul would said these, these words in 1 Corinthians 1.18. Uh, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Let's just stop right there. The cross is foolishness, not only to the Judaizers who were making fun of the Hebrews and really messing with them, but it's foolishness to the world but it's the power of God to us who are being saved. So to the world, a follower of Christ is going to look at our lives and they're going to say, what a fool. But to us, we know who Jesus is. We, we see him, we know him, and we know that it is the power of God to those of us who have been saved. This past Friday, my wife and I a missions conference we were able to hear the stories of numerous missionaries it was a sweet thing to hear we heard how god was working around the world we learned how the gospel was being proclaimed and it was super encouraging i mean we were really encouraged by what we were hearing and again we're talking about people overseas you know china malaysia korea i mean running the gamut of just cool things of what God is doing. But there was, there's, there's, all were good and helpful. All were encouraging. But there was one man that just stood out to me significantly. And I wanted to share a little bit about how it stood out to me. As he got up to speak, he started talking about missions in the context of your own community. And he zeroed in on a community that's familiar to you called Los Angeles. And he started to talk about missions there and church planting in the city of Los Angeles. But I found myself like, man, I thought we were talking about overseas. I mean, you know, so it took me a while to really to, to, to lock in. But as he began to describe his target audience, the people that they wanted to minister to, who they were going after, he said this, but he said it tactfully. He said it with a tremendous amount of grace. He said, we're just going to go after the people that the churches don't want. But he wasn't saying it to try to convict you. He wasn't saying it to put you under condemnation. He was just making a statement, and he was deadly serious about it. He says, we want to be able to, he says, we want to, be able to help people who we know are not going to be able to help us financially. 
These would be the people that were not going to be able to pass a background check at Lakeshore City Church or probably any church in our community. We're going to go after those people. He talked about how they go to the streets and, and they share the gospel. And because they know their audience, they're anticipating the needs. And it's a good thing to share the gospel. It's a good thing to, to hand a Bible out. Those are all good things and certainly critical and of high importance. But they also offered them a Christ-centered home to live in. And they would begin, I think it was a one-year intense Bible discipleship. It's incredible, the program that they are offering. The cost to be part of this program, which includes housing and food, is zero. He said this, I, I remember just writing it down, he says, the reason why it's zero is because my senior pastor, this guy was planting, he's, he's out there, but he was sat under the leadership of somebody who's sending him out. He said, because his senior pastor said, how can we charge for this? He then said this, people ask my senior pastor all the time for his working budget, and he always replies the same way, I don't have a working budget because the budget doesn't work. I mean, that is so profound. I mean, I mean, the guy gets it. His point was this. Hey, look, God called us to these people. And God's going to sort all of those things out. And I remember sitting in my seat saying, wow, such faith. I remember sitting in my seat saying, wow, sacrificial, I thought to myself. But by God's grace, he reminded me of something. No, Charlie, just obedience. Now, his lane that he's running in, we're talking about Los Angeles and, and, and missions and, and, and all those things they're doing, that is his lane. That doesn't make it my lane, but I was still encouraged by the faith that this man, this church, these people had. I began to ask myself this question. Am I being challenged in my faith? I mean, am I really being challenged in my faith? Am I really willing to do the things that I suggest that we ought to do? Or is that just preacher talk? So I began to ask myself questions. Verse 6 says this, but someone somewhere, remember I read this to you already, has testified. Remember that? Again, not a senior moment. He's pointing the people back to the Word of God, the Old Testament, which they would know. But what this really means is Christ has been testified everywhere. Everywhere. Today, if you were a Christian, someone somewhere has shared their testimony with you. Or you've heard the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the Gospel. What are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're a narrative, they're a story about Jesus coming to earth to ransom a people who needed to be rescued, that needed to be ransomed. But I want you to think about something this morning. Do you remember that time that you first believed? I mean, where you really got it, 
where you believed how the gospel wherever you were dropped you maybe to your knees maybe to the seat but you got it and do you remember that time when you first responded in obedience and faith to christ do you remember that time maybe right now maybe this is you now and i praise god for that that passion that you would have when you would share your faith when it was new do you remember this that unique call that god placed on your life everyone has a unique call you want to know one of the greatest things i've struggled with in 10 years of being your pastor of going back out into the business world you want to know why it's easier for me and if you don't like somebody you just fire them oh but brothers and sisters the church is a community project we're in this thing together and how can i how can you how can we walk away from that calling a calling will cost all of us something what was your calling that unique call that god placed on your life how about this one do you remember being so impacted by the gospel but yet, you, you, just, you, you just were you're just a baby in the faith. You didn't know like uh, what propitiation meant. You couldn't spell it. You didn't care. Those were the good old days, Pastor Blake, Ron. Those were the good old days for me. There was a sweetness, wasn't there? Not that it's not sweet now, but there was just this sweetness. However, in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3, let me just share this with you. I, just, I had to read this to you this morning. This is Paul. Just listen to the sweetness of this. In light of everything I've shared with you this morning, Paul said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, the gospel to you, I did not come to you with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. How sweet is that? When we just remember that time. I'm challenged by all of the verses that I've read this morning. I'm challenged by what I heard this week. I'm challenged by what people who I know have spoken to me have said to me this week and last week. I'm challenged by the fact that God, according to the text this morning, that He remembered me, that He remembered you. I'm challenged to know that God actively pursued you. He pursued me. I'm, I'm challenged by the fact, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact, but yet challenged by the fact that Christ came to this earth. I mean, He really came to this earth. He left heaven to come for you and me. I'm challenged that Jesus did this. And this is the part that if I had to say anything brought me to my knees, it was this, that Jesus lowered Himself. He went 
low. I mean, he went really low. He let men spit on him. He let men in front of him blaspheme him when he had the power to rip out their tongues and beat them with it. He let them do that. I'm challenged how Christ endured. I'm challenged by the grace that Jesus tasted death. If I can be honest and forthright with you, I don't like to be challenged. If you call me up and you say, Charlie, I want to challenge you, I'd be like, oh gosh. I don't like to be challenged. Because being challenged means that you're going to do something to me. You're going to make me uncomfortable. And I do not like to be uncomfortable. I like to be in control. I like to know how it's going to go. I like to watch a movie for the second time. It's even better because I know what's going to happen. I like to eat the leftovers the next day because I know it's going to be good. I like to know. I've got the propensity to get so comfortable, so comfortable in my faith, don't leave me up here, that I get lazy. You know, I like to huddle with the same friends, sit in the same places. I like what I like. I don't like to be challenged because when I'm challenged, i got to examine my heart and I learn yet again there is much of me that has yet to surrender to Christ. I'm talking about me. I suspect many of you are like, like me. You love God. You know that Jesus died for you. But yet you know there are areas in your life that you have yet to surrender to God. I trust that through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, brother or sister, that you, by God's grace, are being made aware of what you need to surrender to. I'll trust that the Holy Spirit will allow you to name it, that will tell you what needs to be surrendered to. Again, verse 9. But we do see. But we do see. But we do see what? Jesus. He was made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace He might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death. Jesus surrendered himself to his Father and ultimately surrendered himself to the cross. Jesus surrendered himself even to the point of death. Now here's the part that we're going to have to really examine. Jesus calls us to do likewise. Now, as I get into this, you're going to have to hear in a certain way. We don't always hear things the way they're being presented. If I was to say to you, some of you this week, you really stepped out. Some of you really stepped up. Way to go. Some of you would think, Oh, what's he saying? I didn't step up? Well, what about me? I, you didn't say anything. Are we all? No, I just said some of you really stepped up. Some of you were at death's door. Some of you were struggling. Some of you had to endure. Some of you had to... to you, there were, it was not an easy week, and, and I'm proud of you. 
But what do you hear? What do you hear? So I say that to you because what I'm getting ready to read to you, you, you need to hear. You, you got to hear. You got to get rid of mind that's good. You got to hear. I got to do the same thing. Jesus calls us to pick up our crosses. He calls us through His Word to be faithful, to be responsible, to be responsive to picking up our own cross. Now, we don't go to a cross and we're not murdered for our sins. Jesus has done that. It's been finished. But He does say in His Word, and I'll quote Matthew 16.24, then Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone wants to follow after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow Me. Who's He speaking to? Then Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone wants to follow after Me, let him deny himself. Who wants that? That ain't going to come unless you're full of the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to take up His cross and follow Me. What about Matthew 10.38? And whoever doesn't take up His cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. What do we do with that stuff? Well, we can do a lot with it. We can throw it away. We can say it's just another legalistic sermon. The preacher's legalistic again. Acting like a total weirdo. Come on. Or we can trust that the Holy Spirit will guide us and speak to us uniquely and help us. So brothers and sisters, if Jesus went low for a short time, you and I can go low for a lifetime. If Jesus went low for a short time, you and I can go low for a lifetime. How do we do that? We've got to ask God to examine our life. Individually. Ask God to identify where we are high and haughty and trust Him as He brings us low for our benefit so that we can be fruit bearers. And know this, my beloved. Even if we go low for a lifetime, it will only be for a little while. As the Word of God reminds us of something, and again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, may you hear this through the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18, as it says this. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus what is, unseen, what is seen. We do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is unseen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How precious the Word of God is. Indeed, God, Christ, is greater than we can ever hope or imagine. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. This week, I was so encouraged by how many of you are waging war against things that are going on in your life. How many people have stepped up in obedience 
and said, here I am, God, use me. Did you know that I don't remember a time in our history where I've seen so many people step up and step out for the things of Christ? But it's at that time when you start to get momentum is when you want to keep talking about it, right? That's the time. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged by what God is doing. But at the same time, continue to examine yourself and ask yourself, God, would you help me to surrender? I want to be a man. I want to be a woman that doesn't surrender some, just as the old song says, that you surrender all. It might take a lifetime to get there. You may not get there tomorrow, but here's the deal. We're going to get there together, and we're going to be obedient one step at a time. When we go sideways or backways, just know this. Backwards, just know this. We've got, we got a high priest, a king who loves us, and he thinks highly of us, not because of what we've done, but because of his sheer grace. Indeed, how sweet is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me?